Hello and welcome to the Salty Catholic Podcast. I am your host, Dennis Kesto. Um, there's a huge problem in most modern-day version of Christianity. And, and here's the problem. I really want to apply the Bible to my life and the world around me, and I want to see solutions to the problems in my life today in Scripture. But the problem is often people take things out of context, they apply them where they don't belong, and they kind of start verse hunting and cutting up the Bible into this sort of piece that can be applied in ways that maybe God does not intend. And the solution for this that we need to do a careful Bible study, a thoughtful verse-by-verse of Scripture where we study and understand what the Scripture originally meant. Uh, Then the lights will start to come on. And this is precisely why we have a church, the Catholic Church, uh, with an infallible deposit of faith to guide us so that we don't make these errors and mistakes that lead ourselves and maybe even others into heresy. Today, I will be... Uh, discussing with you who the Sadducees were and what they believed. And we're going to see how Jesus uh, dealt with them and how he confronts and rebukes them. And we're going to kind of see how there's like a modern day version of the Sadducees, just like there's modern day versions of Pharisees. And we can apply it rightfully and not just point fingers like, you're a modern day Sadducee. Yeah, well, you're the modern day Pharisee and kind of just start fighting with each other. No. Rather, we need to understand what was wrong back then and how we can apply it rightly today. So I'm going to discuss how the Sadducees have this modern counterpart, and that modern counterpart is uh, the progressive liberal Christianity. And I don't mean this in like a political sense. Uh, And I know right now we're in a very hot political climate. And when we hear the word liberal, we automatically think uh, Democrat. But that's not what I'm talking about at all. I just want to make that clear. Uh, I'm here talking about liberal and progressive theology. And that's a different issue than, you know, the politics. And it's true. Those who hold a liberal theological view tend to be politically and socially liberal as well. And those uh, two things do correlate. But I'm just making it clear that when I use the word liberal or progressive, I'm not dealing with politics. I'm specifically talking about the theology. Now that I got that out of the way, uh, the modern progressive liberal theology, whatever we want to call it, it's a huge problem. And when you understand how Jesus deals with these Sadducees, uh, we'll know how to identify and deal with the modern progressive uh, and the teachings that they believe and practice. And it may even be happening in your own heart. I mean, it's entirely possible that in your own heart and in mind, because of the progressive theology that kind of uh, started to become more mainstream, or the stuff that's been kind of sneaking into a lot of the content that we watch and listen. So uh, let's take a look at Mark chapter 12. This is verses 18 through 27. So what I'll do is I'm going to read the passage, and then I'll go back and kind of break it down so we can understand how to apply this to the modern progressive Christian Uh, Which, by the way, I believe, in my opinion, that's a bigger issue than atheism because atheism isn't infiltrating our church. Progressive, secular, liberal ideology is the cause of the problems within Christianity. So, let's read the text. Um, Again, this is Mark 12, 18-27, so it starts with, Some Sadducees, who said that there is no resurrection, came to him, that is Jesus, and put this question to him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, 
If someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife up and raise up the descendants for his brother. It's a trick question. There was a mosaic rule about marrying a, a widow of your brother and raising up their children so the widow isn't uh, forced to marry outside the Jews and they can inherit the land of Israel. And that's kind of just a very short explanation of it. If I have time, maybe I'll explain more later. Uh, but they go on to say, Now there are seven brothers. First married a woman and died, leaving no descendants. So the second married her and died, leaving no descendants. And the third likewise. And the seven left no descendants. Last of all, the woman also died at the resurrection when they rise. Whose wife shall she be? For all seven had been married to her. Ah, gotcha. So Jesus said to them, Are you not misled because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When they raise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses? In the passage about the bush, how God told him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly misled. Now just stick with me for a moment because you'll understand how amazing, how clever this response is by Jesus. So if this interaction was recorded today and uploaded on YouTube, the title would be like, Jesus destroys a group of smug Sadducees or, you know, and then the glasses go on Jesus with the word thug life on there. Um, but jokes aside, you'll get to see how helpful this type of response is and how we can apply it today to this liberal progressive Christianity. And, um, and I'm not... I'm not attacking those people. Jesus didn't attack the Sadducees either. He was just correcting them. And we should be correcting anyone who is either misleading others or is themselves misled. This is something that we should do. So let's go back to the passage. It starts off by saying some Sadducees uh, who say that there were no resurrection came to him and put this question to him. Now, to understand this, uh, we need to know who the Sadducees are. We don't really know a whole lot about them. I try to do as much research as I can. Um, they aren't mentioned in scripture that often. They practically disappeared uh, about a century after Jesus' death. Uh, a few other sources mention them, like the Talmud and Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in the first century. By the way, I got anything I can about the Sadducees. I went to Catholic.com and tried to find as much as I can, and, and here's what I was able to find. Because the writings of the Sadducees didn't really survive, so we can only work with what we have. But here's what we know about them for sure. Uh, they were a religious group of Jews who only accepted the Torah, which are the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, they're the written laws of Moses. They only accepted those as authoritative. They didn't really pay much attention to anything else that was written after that. Because of that, they denied many doctrines that were held by Jews. Even the Pharisees, who would often kind of get in little fights with Jesus about, uh, about the law, uh, even they believed in you know, the, old, the entirety of the Old Testament. They believed in a lot more books, like the Psalms and the writings of, of the prophets. Oh, some of the things that they denied, uh, the Sadducees, they denied the resurrection of the dead, they denied the existence of angels and spirits, and they denied the existence of hell in general. They didn't believe that people would be punished um, after death. In fact, they didn't believe there was an afterlife at all. For mo Most of them didn't believe that. The Sadducees believed that worshiping God is the focus of all the laws and didn't seem to believe that following many moral laws was all that important. All that was important was that they had a good relationship with God. They had materialistic view of life. You know, they, you no longer exist when you die. So you should focus on making the most of your life 
while you are alive. Here's the interesting part about the Sadducees, though. They were a minority view. There weren't that many of them. Uh, there were very few who were Sadducees, and the vast majority of them, if not all of them, were very rich, uh, or at least very well off. They were highly educated people with some kind of power, whether it's a political or financial power. And I'm sure you can start to see some resemblance to modern progressive Christians, when we encounter the ones that we encounter today. These are very well-off, highly educated families who felt morally superior to the rest of the population. Look, they get it, man. You know, they get the real meaning of Judaism, not this strict version of Judaism that sounds, you know, that, uh, go, that goes around and just puts people down. Uh, Josephus, in one of his writings, he talks about how because the Sadducees were a minority and had an unpopular view of their theology uh, among the Jews, and it didn't really sit well with them, they would go around pretending like they were Pharisees just to gain some popularity and get a big following. And then in secret, in like smaller groups of people, they would then be more honest. They would give their honest views. So they would draw in people to gain their trust and little by little then hit them with what they actually believed and ended up misleading people to believe in their views, which were completely contrary to the Jewish practices and laws uh, and beliefs back then. This is exactly like the modern progressive Christian leaders. Guys like, you may be familiar with this name, you may not be, but there's a guy by, uh, by the name of Rob Bell. He started a, uh, a church called Mars Hill Bible Church, and it was actually here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was the fastest growing church in the entire U.S., uh, he drew so many people with his preaching about Jesus, about the scripture, about the resurrection. And then he became really big. He started to get a huge following. And then he writes a book called Love Wins. This was back in 2011. And it questioned eternal torment, uh, pretty much saying that there is no hell. Hell doesn't exist. He got a lot of backlash by many, many Christians. He was like the America's heretic, he was actually titled. But in 2012, he moved to L.A. to start a show on the Oprah Network, Go Figure, uh, so you can kind of see how this rich, well-educated man, he pretended to be a preacher of the gospel, drew in many believers, and then once he had their attention, once he grasped their attention and all their trust, he showed them his true side. They, by that I mean like the, the modern Christians, the progressive Christians, liberal Christians, they infiltrate the church from within where it's alive. And they plant, I'm sorry to say this, they plant a parasite that kills the church from within. They become someone who imitates a believing Christian to teach Bible studies, to preach a gospel. They teach catechism communion classes for many years. Once they become somewhat famous within the community, not necessarily famous like a pop culture famous or a movie star famous, but just get some name recognition within the community, they feel like they have enough of an outreach. They begin to show their true colors all of a sudden. You see, they were never really pro-life to begin with. They never really agreed or cared about church teachings on such things like homosexuality or just sexuality in general, on contraception, on eternal punishment. Problem is, they've been slowly sprinkling their bad theology, and it spreads to many people within the church. And by the time you realize it, it's a little too late. Many now ascribe to this bad theology. I believe that this is happening a lot more than we realize. And I'm sure some of you listening, you may even point to a person or two that this applies to. Other similarities we see is that, um, as I mentioned earlier, the Sadducees only believe and accept in the Mosaic writings as authoritative, so the first five books, the Torah. They didn't completely reject the rest of the scripture, but like modern progressives, they acknowledge that it's God's word, but they kind of seem to reject it in a way like modern progressives do it. They, uh, what they do is they redefine some terms. 
So it can seem like they're accepting these teachings and it can seem like they were accepting scripture in its entirety. So for example, the Sadducees would say that they believed in resurrection, but what they did is they redefine resurrection as living through your offspring so that like your name, your legacy will live on through your children. And that's how they define resurrection. So that in public, when someone asks them about resurrection, oh yeah, sure, of course, I, I believe in the resurrection. Of, of course, I believe in the resurrection. It's in the scripture. So they present themselves to the Jews as they believe in the resurrection and even preach about it. But they don't really mean what scripture means in resurrection. They kind of redefined it. Some modern Christians like Serene Jones, I talked about her in a previous episode, She's the, uh, the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York, and she had an interview that was published years ago on Easter weekend, never mind you. Uh, it was published in the New York Times, and she said, when you look in the Gospels, the stories are all over the place. There is no resurrection in Mark. It's just an empty tomb. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. Hmm. She goes on, crucifixion is not something that God is, you know, outstretching from upstairs. The, per- the pervasive idea of an abusive godfather who sends his own kid to die on the cross so that God can forgive people, that's nuts. For me, a cross is an enactment of our human hatred. But what happens on Easter is the triumph of love in midst of suffering. Isn't that reason for hope? <sighs> so, this lady over here, she redefined crucifixion and resurrection to mean like a metaphor of God's triumphant love. So you see what she's doing. Publicly, she can say, of course I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But she doesn't actually believe in the physical resurrection, just in like a metaphorical one. It's sad. It's pathetic. But she gets away with this. And now she's teaching this crap to many students at that seminary. And there are many like big name pastors who graduated from that seminary that are also now sharing the same exact view. I just want to offer this lady a million dollars so that when she accepts it, uh, I can just be like, no, no, no. I was metaphorically talking about dollars. What I meant is a million thoughts and prayers. So we'll, we'll see how she reacts to that. But the modern day progressive Christians like the Sadducees, they're not atheists, but they had a lot of atheistic attributes. Um, today we'd call it like secularism. They reject central Christian teachings like judgment, hell, resurrection, objective morality. They downplay the meaning of prayers. And I'm sure we've seen a lot of people who mock uh, people giving prayers, especially those or offering prayers, especially during times of hardship. Now, generally speaking, they're very financially well off and highly educated. They brag about like, oh, I went to this big name university and got a master's degree. They usually have a useless degree in something like social justice or political science or social studies or social something. Any degree with the word social is just completely useless. But what they do is they hang this over people saying that, hey, look, I have this degree so I can talk down at you. Maybe I was like you dumb pew Christians who don't know anything outside of your Bible. All you do is just read your Bible. I might believe in these silly ideas like hell and objective morality and and God being judgmental and miracles if I was close-minded like you guys, but I'm not. I'm very educated, and I'm up here, and you're down here. And if I'm being fair, there are many pastors like Rob Bell, who I mentioned earlier. They went to these liberal liberal seminaries, like Union Theological Seminary, and they get their theology degree, and they also do the same thing to their followers, like, look, I have the degree. I went to school and studied, so you, you know, I'm not dumb like you, so I understand this better than you, so you need to listen to me. 
modern Sadducees, like the ancient Sadducees, they impersonate faithful Christians. What they do is they take, they accept some parts of scripture and they ignore the rest. It's like they use their sharpie to highlight their Bible. What they do is quote some parts of scripture to fight other parts of scripture like the Sadducees did with Jesus. They use the writings of Moses to attack and mock the idea of resurrection. Modern Sadducees do the same exact thing. They'll take like the warm, fuzzy sayings about love that Jesus uh, says and attack what St. Paul says, for example, about homosexuality or adultery. adultery. When they'll say things like, God won't send anyone to hell because God is love. Or they'll quote John 8, where the woman caught in adultery and the Pharisees were uh, getting ready to stone her. They'll quote their all-time favorite Bible verse when Jesus says, Let the one among you without sin throw the first stone. And they'll stop there. They're like, see, don't judge anybody. Because if you have no sin, then you shouldn't be casting any stones. They'll completely ignore what came four verses later where he tells that woman, Go and sin no more. He's telling us to repent. They totally ignore the repentance part. They just tell you, hey, who are you to, throw, to cast those stones? Again, they use that sharpie to highlight that, the verse of the Bible. They do this so they can appear to preach Christian teachings and tell people not to condemn others for their sins because, well, that's between them and God. You shouldn't judge. And just a quick tip, you know someone's theology is way off when they try to fight scripture verses with other scripture verses. All right, uh, let's kind of go back to the, um, to the Bible verse of Mark 12 and kind of let's see how Jesus responds to them. The way he does it, it's so perfect. So just a quick recap. Sadducees ask Jesus, if someone's brother dies, leaving his wife, no children, and his brother must take his wife up and raise up descendants for his brother, like the law says. And there were seven brothers. The first married and he died. The second one married and he died. The third, fourth, fifth, all the seven ones, they all married her and they all died. And then she ended up dying and they ask, on the day of the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Because, well, all seven of them had been married. Um, just quickly, just so that you understand the law a little bit because it does seem kind of weird, especially talking about it today because this kind of stuff doesn't happen and shouldn't happen. Um, so there was a law. This was in Deuteronomy 25. Just to explain it really quickly so you get the idea. When a married man dies and he has no son, that's the key, th that's the key thing, and he has no sons, then the wife shouldn't marry outside of the family to a strange man. But her husband's brother should take, uh, should take her as, as his wife and perform the duties of a husband. And if they have a son, then the son should have the same name as the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out and he can get the inheritance of the land and preserve the heritage uh, of the family of Israel. So now you kind of understand the context of the Sadducees and you know, when they, why they asked that question. So what, they, what they're doing is they're presenting this hypothetical situation, and man, do they love hypothetical situations, where a woman ends up marrying all seven brothers and they all die and then she ends up dying. It's a trick question because, one, they don't believe in the resurrection the way that we believe in the resurrection or the way that Jesus and the Jews believe in the resurrection. So they're kind of making fun of the idea that this woman had seven husbands and in heaven, these seven husbands are going to be like fighting over, well, no, she's my wife. Well, no, I married her and, and you know, whose husband is she going to be? And she's going to be just sitting in the corner loving that seven men are fighting over. They present a problem or they think that they're presenting a problem that God, that God himself can't even solve. You know, God kind of pinned himself in a corner by making the silly rule. Right away, I think of abortion. The modern-day Sadducees, what they'll probably do is, if, if Jesus was in front of them, they would probably go up to him and be like, well, what about in cases of rape and incest? Hmm? Uh, shouldn't the women have a choice? 
oh, what if the pregnancy is causing uh, a medical issue where the mother's life is in danger, huh, smart guy? What do you say about that? As if to say that when scripture and the church teach that abortion is wrong, that God didn't think about these problems ahead of time. It's just a smug, uh, it's kind of like a smug attitude. Going back to scripture, after the Sadducees tell him this to Jesus, Jesus smacks him with this. Are you not misled because you do not know the scripture and the power of God? It's such a perfect response. He's telling him two things. One, you're misunderstanding Bible. And two, you're misunderstanding the power of God. That applies to every progressive Christian that I've ever came across or that I've ever read about or that I've heard preaching or writing and all these people who are trying to rewrite Christianity. They are clearly misinterpreting uh, the scripture. And also they don't understand the power of God because they believe they can stump God with like these gotcha questions, right? With these riddles. They believe that God either didn't think about these things or that he did think about them and he's just being unjust or he's just being mean like i want to have it my way not your way but then jesus continues and he says when they raise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but they are like the angels in heaven as for the dead being raised have you not read in the book of moses in the passage about the bush how god told them i am the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob he is not god of the dead but god of the living you are greatly misled i love that he ends it with that he tells them, see, the first thing that you're misunderstanding about scripture is that when we resurrect, we're not, we don't become like humans on earth. We're no longer like humans on earth. We're like the angels in heaven as to say we're just a spirit, right? We're, we're, we're in a more exalted state. We'll be something greater than what we are right now on earth. God isn't the God of the dead because we are not dead in heaven. When we are dead here physically, like our bodies die, they no longer work. We are not dead spiritually. We still, we're still living, just in a different state. And God is the God of the living, just as the God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are quote-unquote dead in their bodily form, but in their spirit, they're not dead. The reason why this, this response is kind of clever, it's, it's targeted. Jesus targets their dedication to the idea of the resurrection and shows them how they misunderstood. When we speak to like a uh, you know, modern progressive Christian, we need to find out what they're committed to and bring them to scripture using that. So for example, if a progressive is committed to social justice or any kind of justice, right? And what they try to do is they try to overturn or corrupt the Christian teaching. We need to, what we need to do is show them that their concept of justice is being misunderstood by them. That way, they, when we do show them justice, what true justice is in scripture, they can still dedicate and be passionate towards justice, but just realize their flaws and understanding and we can th that it's pointing them into the wrong direction and we can point them in the right direction. So because the Sadducees misunderstood the resurrection, they, uh, the reason they did that is because they just held the Torah as being authoritative and kind of the rest of scripture as not. And progressives will do the same thing. They'll hold the gospels, the four gospels as, that's my whole Christianity. Everything I need to know about Christianity is right here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And everything that Jesus says, that's it. St. Paul is just kind of like the secondary thing. We, we don't really have to listen to him. What ends up happening is they end up slowly washing away the supernatural parts of the Bible. Like, for example, um, there, there is this random dude named K.R. I have no idea what his name is. He just goes by K.R. K dot R dot. I don't know. But while I was kind of researching about this, uh, I came across him. He wrote a book um, about myths and how they can be explained. He talks about how Jesus walking on water, 
uh, about the story of Jesus walking on water, and he claimed that Jesus didn't walk on water. He, this is how he explains it, because everything in the Bible can be explained with modern science and philosophy, apparently. But because Jesus was walking away from a distance, or he was far away from the disciples, and, you know, Israel's like kind of like this desert, right? It's just sand all over the place. That's how he pictures it. Apparently, he's never been to Israel. But he pictures it as just this big desert. And because Jesus was so far in distance, there was a mirage. So it gave the appearance of Jesus walking on water. Look, they always, they always stretch to have some like ridiculous modern explanation. They don't understand the power of God. So they have to reinterpret scripture to explain the real meaning of what's going on. Which, by the way, if Jesus was walking on a mirage, um, when Peter jumped out of the boat, was the boat on the sand as well and when peter started sinking does that mean he was on quicksand i don't know i'm just trying to figure out what this where this guy's head was going uh when he was coming up with his explanation but progressive christians will uh, say something like humans wrote the bible so mistakes can be in them what they try to do is they they try to take the supernatural out of the scripture they try to make it uh, what's the opposite of supernatural they try to make it natural right and they're no different than some of the atheist arguments from the progressive Christians, which kind of boggles my mind. Uh, but the point of the episode is this, right? I'm just going to kind of wrap this up. We need to be aware of the modern day Sadducees. There are far more today of them than there was in Jesus's time, especially because of the internet age and media, whether it's the news, the movies, TV shows, and social media, these teachings are becoming a lot more mainstream. Just like the Sadducees back then, they used Christian terminology, but then they changed the meaning a little bit so that they can blend in with the rest of the faithful Christians. And they'll eventually distort the true meaning of scripture. And for that, we need to just be better equipped. There are many resources out there that can point us in the right direction. Most things I've learned that I'm sharing with you on this episode really came from Catholic.com. None of this was just like some great revelation that came up on my mind, right? I, I was reading scripture. I wanted to know what the Sadducees were because I was just kind of curious because I never really heard much about them. And it kind of led me to this whole entire <laughs> episode, really. Um, so Catholic.com, I highly recommend it. They have great resources that go just straight to the point. My point is we need to fight against this progressive ideology. Most importantly, we need to trust God and have faith in him because ultimately, much like Jesus on the cross, God always comes out as the winner. And even when it doesn't seem like it, just remember what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So that about ends it for me for this episode. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Please don't forget, subscribe, share with your family and friends. I've been getting some great feedback and some requests just to kind of make this podcast better. And I'm working on having guests in some future episodes. Um, but I love you guys. Keep me in your prayers, please. And just remember that you are the salt of the earth. Amen. <laughs>